We consider this morning the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal, recorded in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal. The Heidelberg Catechism is uh, our help today in instructing us in the, the summary of the truth of this, of this, uh, of this commandment. In the insert in your bulletin, the statement of Lord's Day 42 is printed there. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive advert, um, merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. In the positive, what does God require of you in this commandment? You shall not steal. What shall you do? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. There's a brief summary of a commandment which is vitally important that we live by, though often it's not considered near as important when we sin or when we obey it even, as say the sixth commandment, you shall not steal, or the seventh, you shall not commit adultery. We're going to see this morning just how important this eighth commandment is and our obedience to it is. I want to read this morning, and this will be our perspective as we consider the word of God, you shall not steal, in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to read chapter 6, or verse 6, to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> These outstanding statements of practical Christianity that were <clears throat> given to Timothy by the inspired Paul, young Timothy at Ephesus, the minister and are given to us today as the church of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, and you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. 
to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. May grace be with us as we've heard this word of God and hear now what God would say to us in the preaching of the gospel for faith with regard to the commandment, you shall not steal. From what we hear, all that matters are things. Things are all that matters. And things, therefore, are the good things of life. The bad things are to be avoided. The good things are to be had and possessed. People are possessed themselves, having heard this truth, and this be the consensus of the immoral majority, the whole world just about. They love these things and pursue these things. Hence the timeliness of the exhortation in 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all evil. People are hearing these things about things. and They're loving these things. And what happens is, uh, because of the nature of the beast of the sinner, loving things, we will get them by hook or by crook, one way or another, even if it means robbing the neighbor. And so we have the case that this world is a bunch of thieves. What they're doing here is hearing other words than God's word, God's word that says God is above all things and God gives good things and distributes them to whom he will. and We are to respect the property of others and so on something he says in the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. We need, beloved, to hear these words from God once again and in a renewed way. The Eighth Commandment, in a special way, God lifts us up above the things and above a desire just for things, even a love of them, which would spill out into our coveting and then our acquiring, if possible, the things of others. Positive commandment in 1 Timothy 6 is that with God, or the positive statement is that godliness with contentment is great gain. These are the things we should think about as we hear the commandment, you shall not steal, and I want to entitle it Greenbacks, Greed, and God's Redeemed. That's the theme of my sermon. Greenbacks, that's money, the green stuff, which is hardly worth anything. Greed, that's behind it, and God's redeemed. But We are called out of the world of greed, out of the world of the thieves, to be God's redeemed, to show forth by godliness and contentment the great gain of the gospel 
and that we've heard. You've heard it, haven't you? The word of God to us, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and our all in all in him. So we want to consider, first of all, that we are among thieves and robbers. Let's call it what it is. This is the world, thieves and robbers. We could have said, with regard to every one of the commandments, the first of which says, you shall not have any other gods that were among the idolaters. We go down the list, and everyone has broken the commandments. There's none righteous, no, not one. So we can say accurately, we're among thieves and robbers. But then we need to know that we're called out. As Paul says to Timothy, you're called out. And so that we are these people on the earth who are special for God's praise. And finally, I want to consider that for richer or for poorer, we're going to be married to the things of God and to God himself as God's people who will not steal, but who for God's sake know how to handle things and even to give praise to God and to the neighbor. What does the... Eighth commandment require? Why is the eighth commandment so fleshed out in the Old Testament and also something we're reminded of in the New over and over again? Oh, beloved, simply the eighth commandment requires that we not steal, and it's based on some basic principles of love and of stewardship, for example. Here's some basics behind what we're to do or not do with the things of our neighbor, of ourselves, is this principle. God owns everything. We just sang of that in a versification of Psalter or Psalm 50. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The beasts of the forest are his too. All the flesh, everything in it is God's. That's the principle underlying all the things of the world. And before we start thinking we have a right to things, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and all things, and even things of the neighbor, remember, God is the one who rightfully owns everything. Even though we have these things, after a fashion, God owns them all and we are to use them for his sake. That's the first principle here. And it's given to us as a sacred trust. And that's the, the next thing. We are stewards of what God gives us. As Joseph was a steward in Potiphar's house in Egypt, so we are stewards. Those are entrusted by the owner of the things. That's God, children. He owns all your stuff. You're entrusted for a little while, with these things, whether it's your talents, your treasures, whatever you have, whatever you treasure, whatever is needful for your existence, or your time, everything, everything about you, your situation, your work, your, your home life, your church life. You're, you're given these things and these relationships as a sacred trust. And that means that God gives us things so that we do with them what God wants us to. That's why it's so important to know your Bible. What are the marching orders uh, uh, and the buying orders and the selling orders of God? 
in the Bible. So for the Eighth Commandment, knowing these principles is the foundation of keeping the commandments. Private property, therefore, is something that is biblical. We need not think that we're just a bunch of communists and we don't have anything, really. We just share it all. I'd like to point out to you that a passage that's often uh, cited <clears throat> is uh, Acts 2 for proof, people think, that proof positive that the early church in its flourishing days, they just shared everything. They had everything in common. And to be sure, and after a way, they did. If you read the end of Acts 2, there's a model church. They were dwelling together in the word and in prayer and worship and with their things. They were sharing these things. But the tense there, for those who are interested in the Greek language, and we all should be in the original languages that God wrote, is the imperfect tense, meaning simply that people didn't just give everything at once and say, here's, here's it all, we don't own anything, but they were gradually and daily and regularly giving to the needs of others, just what is biblical giving and sharing not departing from the ownership, departing from them as if they never owned them, or it was biblical not to own things or to be rich. No, the Bible extols God who gives things to each of us, distributes as he will, the epistle says, to each one severally as he will. So some are rich and some are poor, some are in between, a lot of us are in between, and God gives these things. And the principle behind the things, as we've seen in all the commandments, is that with them, therefore, we are to use them for God's sake and for his glory, in love to God, in love to God. We love God, and we love the neighbor, we love the way that God has made us and what he's given to us and what he's not given to us. We're content with that, as we'll see. But we're also thankful that God has given to the neighbor this or that or us the opportunity to help the neighbor. So we love God and we love the neighbor. These are principles and practices behind the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Well, <clears throat> The Eighth Commandment then sets forth the standard for all moral conduct with regard to the possessions of the neighbor. We are not to steal from the neighbor. We are to promote the neighbor's advantage. As the, the Catechism reminds us, I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may and deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so I may be, be able to help to give to those in need. But now, let's consider how this world is. How does this world measure up in regards to the Eighth Commandment? Is the world getting better with regard to its keeping the Eighth Commandment? We'd have to say no. The statement 2,000 years ago, there's none righteous, no, not one, is, is clear. And it's true. Today, and if anything, and this is the truth, things have gotten worse. People are liars, they are thieves, they steal. And 
This is because of original sin. And original sin, let's remember, was such that when Adam fell, he broke all the commandments of God. They weren't written in stone yet, but they were in his heart. God must be first and things must be second. Well, Adam said, I don't like that arrangement. And Eve said that. And so things became something that began to be more important to them than to God. And so there was a substitution of love. God said, love me. And they said, no, that's not enough. I love things. And Eve's, it's significant, when Eve first sinned and took from the, 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 the devil, the snake, the devil, she saw that the tree was good. It was beautiful and able to make her wise and so on. She, she became this sensuous Eve, connected very sinfully to this world as someone who now was consumed by the beauty of the world and the, the, the passing things of the world even more than God who is eternal. And what a terrible thing. So that with re- the result of that for our keeping the Eighth Commandment was that we're born with a nature that says, I have these things, I love these things, and then I look at the neighbor and I say, oh, well, I love those things too. And if you don't have those things, you say, well, I, I don't really happy that that neighbor has those things and I don't. And so we go over there and we, we start taking those things and we start stealing in one way or another and so, until we get these things and then we're content, right? No, we're not. We're never content with that. It's the nature of the worship of things that we, we want more, we want more. And as, as it's been said, if you're, if you're poor, you want a dollar more. If you're rich, you want a dollar more. It makes no difference whether you're poor or rich. Just want more. Please, may I have some more? And we don't even say please. We think we have a right to it. So there's so much of this sin that's going on because of the original sin, original stealing. Our our loves have changed. And when Paul is uh, writing to Timothy in verse uh, 10 of chapter 6 that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and you could just say, like the original has it, all evil. That was the truth then. They lived in the 2,000 years ago among the covetous at Ephesus. And the church lived among the covetous at Ephesus. And the church was being taught there. Apparently, there was a temptation, too, to be taught there. Uh, contrary to the wholesome words, 1 Timothy 6, 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, obsessed over disputes and arguments and so on. Well, beloved, when people twist the gospel word and they turn God's people's ears from listening just to that, what happens is sin takes over and it says there's other words that I'm going to hear and I want to hear. The good things of the gospel and the spiritual blessings of Jesus, they're not enough. Let me hear what the world says and what the world offers. Let me receive and contemplate and consider as an alternative to the gospel or maybe something to have along with it. Get me Jesus. People say this in the church. 
and give me whatever else I can find. After all, God has put us in this world and to enjoy this world. That's true. But people say and use this as an excuse. Therefore, I have it coming to me. And therefore, I'm going to be smart and I'm going to trick people and I'm going to have the world too. You can't have Jesus, beloved, and eat your cake too. You can't have Jesus as your God, your love, and love the world. Not even a little bit of it. Stealing has so many forms. Catechism speaks in old language. Maybe we're not used to that. God forbids outright theft and robbery. We know what that's about. Somebody puts a gun in your back and demands everything you have or goes to the bank and robs the bank. We understand that. But then there's a lot of scheming that goes on with thieves. Wicked schemes, devices such as false weights and measures. That has to do with measuring out cloth or flour on a scale. And so here's the scale, and it's set so that one pound of flour that you put on one side evens out, and there's the weights there, and it, it should be one pound that's, that's there that you're weighing. But merchandisers would, would do it so that you're getting less than a pound of flour. Or maybe you're cutting some cloth for, for making a dress, and you want three yards, and they cut you two and a half yards and sell it for three yards. And so there's this thieving. And this occurs when people today, they, they advertise a product, say a vacuum cleaner. It does everything. It cleans up everything that you've ever uh, thought was dirt and then some. And it doesn't, or it breaks after three times. That's false advertising or cheap merchandise trying to make a buck. All kinds of ways that people are scheming. I think, for example, of the seniors. They're often scammed because a guy calls and says, I have this great thing for you, and they trust him. It used to be that people trusted people. Nowadays, people bank on the trust. They try to win the trust of the old people who give it. They used to have a handshake, and that was a good, good for a deal. It used to be honor or something, but it's gone. And the scammers take advantage of that, and they get the idea or, or the $20,000 in the retirement of the, of the elderly, and, and it's, it's a mess. And this can happen to us as well. And there's all kinds of ways that people, even in the church, can think that gain is godliness, and that <clears throat> success is the thing to aim for. You like that, beloved? You like that? God has given it even so that the government steals, sadly. The government steals in having false principles like wealth is bad or this inequality, the rich and the poor, is a bad thing, making you feel guilty about it, taxing the rich, distributing the wealth to the poor, and having programs such as this that seem to favor the poor or a certain class of people 
as if work weren't the way that God has given us to acquire wealth, if we would acquire that. And so you have this um, printing of money that's worth nothing and all kinds of ways that the government pushes off as valuable something that's not. So we're not helped, are we? We're not helped at all in this life by any of the institutions, any of the stock uh, sellers who are swindlers and so on, and they falsify the worth of the company. We're not helped at all in this because of our nature to, to want all of this stuff and to participate in it. To have a competition with the neighbor that's legitimate in itself or in our capitalistic society, but a competition that we use to the disadvantage of our neighbor. We take advantage of him or her or them, and so that our good competition in our society, which is meritocracy, if you, if you do good work and so on, then you can, you can earn a living and you can outcompete others. That turns rapidly into greed and covetousness and taking advantage of the neighbor. And it's a hard line to, to, to walk on the side of righteousness and keeping ourselves from unrighteousness in this world. So I can imagine, too, that you employers who employ, or employ people, you have trouble sometimes <clears throat> paying a fair wage because the competition is so much. And part of the positive requirement of, this, of the seventh, Eighth Commandment is that you pay a fair wage so that someone who's, not, who's working for you is not tempted to, to steal and cheat and so on to get ahead, but you pay a fair wage. But as a worker, you're called to do a good wages, a good day's work. And so you don't cut short uh, your, your obligations to your employer. You work hard, and if he says 10-minute break, you don't extend it to 15 and try to look the other uh, Make sure the boss isn't looking. You punch in on time. You're there. You keep your, your uh, commitments, and you leave when he says to leave and, and not before, of course, if, unless he's running you ragged and he, he's killing you. And there's gray areas there. But it's all this understanding of things and service and God and the neighbor and in practical things, very, very practical things, and our problem, beloved, and you have to excuse me, my, my voice is going here. Our problem is we just listen too much to this world. Listen too much. Listening too much and being on the Internet and hearing all this stuff, and it turns into love for the things we hear, the things that the world values and is pushing upon us. And the covetousness and the grabbing, which is very similar to um, our being thieves. That's the Tenth Commandment, though, somewhat different. It can just take over us. And then we become anxious about things. We are so driven to gain them, this becomes our value. And if we don't have them, then we're not happy. Now, beloved, we're called not to do this. 
And let's consider that. You know, the beautiful thing about being a Christian is you're called out of the world and out of the mess. It is. That's the beautiful thing. We're in the world. We enjoy the things of the world. We have neighbors in the world. We, we do our, our work in the world and so on. We have relationships, and it's very meaningful and it's important. But only if we know there's another world and another God. The apostle was wrestling here with the fact that people were teaching a false gospel, and he's urging Timothy to preach the gospel. And the second thing to do is preach the gospel. And the third thing to do, preach the gospel. Have it, Timothy, so that your ministry is marked by the word of God. Have the people, my sheep, come to the congregation, come to the worship services as often as they can to hear the word of God. Have them understand the value of the word of God. Come together, marry together in the Lord so that there is a person, your best friend, who wants to hear the word of God with you and whose values are shaped by that. Beloved, what's the value of the word of God? Well, it's the communication of life in Jesus Christ, the word who was in the beginning with God and was God, by whom all things were made and without him was not anything made that was made, and who sustains the world by his upholding word and who saves the church out of this world by that same word of God. What is Jesus to you? That's what it comes down to is in every commandment. Who is God to you who doesn't steal from you? That's impossible. He owns everything. But is so generous and kind to you. Who is God to you, you who have made, uh, been made godly and content? Think of that. In verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is what the apostles assuming here is true of the believers. It is true of the believers. They're godly, meaning they're made to be in the image of God, and they're made to be like Jesus to serve God and to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. So with regard to that relationship, all is well. They're godly. They're God's sons and daughters, and those are theirs who are called to represent God. And then with regard to the neighbor and all these things, they're content. They're content. That's the connection of the two. They're godly, vertical relationship. And they're content, horizontal relationship with persons and things. They're content whether they're poor as a church mouse or rich as a king. Doesn't matter because God saves some with a scepter and others who only wield a shovel, a spade. Makes no difference to God. He's the God, no respecter of persons, and who makes us all rich in Jesus and needing nothing, having him, we have all things. And all things are given to us, even poverty and adversity and losses and crosses and death. These are gifts, beloved. Understand that. And so what the neighbor has, we are grateful for, whether we have the same thing more or less. And if the neighbor has not, we're going to be giving to that neighbor 
to try to help that neighbor. That's our love. Just some practical things. <clears throat> Several of them are learned from a passage in Ephesians in chapter <clears throat> 4, verse 25 and following. Therefore, put away, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And then this, verse 28, Ephesians 4. Let him who stole steal no longer. Here's the word given to believers in the church who were saved from a certain lifestyle. They were stealing. And the apostle says, stop it. Well, that's the plain language of the Bible. Stop it. You have a new man, put on the new man, put off the old man, a liar, a thief, a murderer, a Judas, who for 30 pieces of silver and who loved to be the treasurer of the disciples because he was a thief and he had the bag, the money. But for that, that thief had our Lord crucified. But the apostle says here, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say, well, I'm a kleptomaniac. Thief. All I can do is steal. Don't say that. Not if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. In the world, yes, but in Christ in the world makes the whole difference. There's power to overcome the worldliness, the covetousness, and looking at others with greed and envy and then stealing from them. Let him who stole steal no more. Here's another principle right from that passage. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Think of that. Work is required in the Eighth Commandment. Don't steal for a living. Work. Don't gamble for a living. Don't play the lottery for a living. Work. Work, work hard with your mind, your hands, your biceps, your legs, your back, or both mind and body. Work hard. Nothing undignified about work. Everything sanctified by work. We're made to work. If we just work some more, sometimes we'd be rid of our, of our hankering after the neighbor's stuff. Work hard, and don't play around with games and get-rich-quick schemes. Oftentimes, those are wrong in the face of it, like gambling in Las Vegas. Had a neighbor once, old lady, and we asked her where she was going. Oh, I'm going to Vegas. Couldn't believe it. What a miserable life. It's like that's what people live for, this prospect of getting rich quick. Beating the house, they call it. You know what happens when you, you gamble? Not just beating the house. You're taking advantage of every poor sucker who went there and thought he beat the house and lost his, lost his house and became addicted. You're, you're playing, you're feeding on them and you're feeding your own lustly desires and work. That's what God has given. Not about schemes. 
It's not about trying to get rich. In fact, those who love money and they do these things, they're going to get it by, by hook or by crook. It's all wrong, beloved. You know why? Because you can't pray about that. If there's anything you can't pray about, you can't do it. Help me to win the lottery. Can you imagine that? Help me to win the lottery. Help me to get rich quick. No. He who desires, who loves money and prays for it because you love something you want it so bad you pray for it even. It's your God. You pray to God, this God money for more of that God. Falls into a snare. You're having an idol. Don't do that. If you can't pray about it, if you can't pray to God to bless your scheming appetite for, then that is wrong in the first place. Don't do that. Well, then we have in that same passage in Ephesians four. This when you when you work, it's with a view not only to yourself and to providing your, for yourself and your future, saving up like the ant for a winter day, stormy season of life, then what you do is that you earn enough so that you have something to give him who has need. Give him who... Isn't that something? Ephesians 4, 28. So you work, don't steal, you work, and you work so that your goal is to help a needy person. Instead of just hanging on and, and living off people... You are there, and there's a kind of maturity in your living and in your working, and you're taking responsibility, and so now you're giving. And isn't this what the Christian life is all about? And isn't this what we're all here to reflect? That God has given to us, and so we give to others. Yes. It is better to give than to receive. Acts 20 more blessed. We want to be on that high road, that wonderful, wonderful way of Jesus. Well, beloved, here's something. has to be mentioned as a practical thing to consider with regard to the things of your neighbor, not only, but keeping yourselves from stealing and giving to the poor and so on. Christ's kingdom first, so very important. In Matthew 6 and Luke 12, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. That's as the antidote to anxiety. We're, ex- we're anxious about all these things in life, whether we're going to eat and drink and all of that, and the neighbor has all these things and tempted to steal. And Jesus says, just do this. Figure out what is the most important thing. That's the cause of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom cause, and for us, that would be the church of Jesus Christ, to which we're glad members and seeking to be members. We're committed to give to the cause of Christ here. And this is not a minister simply seeking filthy lucre. Of course not. How terrible that would be. But it's because this is blessing, and this is what God calls us to do, and this keeps us from stealing and keeps us from idolatry and keeps us focused and gives us a goal in life. We want whatever money and things we have so that the gospel is the thing we have tomorrow. 
and tomorrow and for the children and for the grandchildren. We give. I'm always struck by the fact of what's, what's called, or maybe what I'll call right now, the Elijah principle. Remember that? Elijah was coming from the brook and where he'd been cared for by God, and God calls, calls him to go to Zarephath, where there's a widow there. And she's meeting Elijah. She has a son. And Elijah says, what are you doing? I'm going to prepare my last meal. I have nothing left. There's a drought for three, three and a half years. I have nothing left. Here's what Elijah does. He says, give to me first. Amazing. I remember somebody protesting that I would bring this up in a sermon when they could have hardly anything they said to live by. I said, I'm not saying this, God is. You want Elijah to live, you give to Elijah. That is, you want the word of God to be alive here, to be preached here, to be ministered here by Jesus himself, you give to Elijah first. Doesn't matter if it's your last meal. Doesn't matter if, if it's your, your son that's dying and, and oh, you, you pity the, the poor and, and so on. But you trust, that's the key. And those who want to steal, they don't trust. They're not godly with contentment because they're unbelieving to that respect. God says, trust. Give to the cause of Christ. Now, it's at this point, some people might say, no, you got to tithe. That's what that means. And I dare say that if people live by that principle, that would be okay. The principle of giving a tenth of all you're giving. And maybe that's what you teach your children. Fine. But just remember, that idea of a tenth of all you have is an Old Testament prescription. And it is part of the ceremonial law. You give the first fruits. You give the tenth of all you have. Well, that principle still abides, but it's not a tenth. It's not a tenth. It's everything. It's everything. And those who live by the tenth are really living, and here's a nice rule to teach our children. That's fine. So you earn $100, you give 10 every week. Oh, beloved, I say if you're living by that, you're living by math and not by wisdom. You're living by what's logical for you and not by generosity. Give. Not just till it hurts, but until you die. Give so that you're not in it, but Christ is everything. That's the gospel and the positive requirement of the commandment. And this is for great blessing. Paul warns Timothy in his ministry to stick to the word, to stick to the word of the gospel, pursue all these terrible things of love of money and so on, and that would be unrighteousness, and pursue uh, righteousness and godliness and all that. And then he reminds them of who Jesus is and what a blessing it is to follow him who gives life to all things for Jesus' sake. Then there's a word, a final word in verse 17 to those who are in this congregation who are rich in this present age. I don't want to leave you with that. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. 
that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I dare say that when God commands those who are rich in this present age in Ephesus to be rich in good works, he's speaking now to us, to every one of us. We're all rich. Every single one of us. Do you have more than a day's worth of food in your pantry? Do most of you have two cars, not one? Do most of you have trouble figuring out what to do with the extra money? You're rich. As Americans, you're rich. As people of this culture, we're rich. As God's people, especially, we're kings. We're kings. So, let us have done with the ungodly things of stealing. Let us have done with the lesser things as just getting by and and having the best of both worlds. And let us, as men and women and families in church of God, be rich toward God. See how he will bless us. See how he will make all the difference in our lives of discontent and make us content and more godly. He's such a good God. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us and help us to think of the principles of the truth of the Eighth Commandment, the gospel truths that are behind it and them all. May we be your people. Lord, work in us that we might, with regard to things, hear not the world, but the God who is over the world, and seek the things above where Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Lord, hear us and bless our children and young people that we may learn these things together and be catechized together to sit at Jesus' feet and and say amen to these things and glad to be here and to be reminded of things that matter eternal things, the blessings of God in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.